everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. for picking me up out of the darkness and putting me, bringing me into your marvelous light. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. I just, I just am thankful. Amen. We're going to go to Mark chapter 5. Man, thank you to the worship team, the sound team, media team. Thank you all for being here. Amen. We love our leadership, the Hussies, do we not? Let's give them... A little thanks. We appreciate all the work that they do. The other team members. It takes a lot to run a team, and uh, it takes a lot of teamwork and unity. I'm very thankful for the for the hussies and what they're doing. Amen. Today we're going to talk about a very familiar story, and this is the story of the lady with the issue of blood. Now we all have probably heard this preached. I don't know how many different times. But I would like to approach this story not just from looking at the lady herself, but at the larger context of how this story fits into the book of Mark. And I really think God's helped me the last couple days kind of going through this. And so we're going to read the whole 10 verses or so here, and then we'll kind of break it down. The context is uh, Jairus is a religious leader, and Jesus arrives, and Jairus pleads with him, my daughter is near death, please come and heal her. And it says that Jesus went with him, begins to follow, and the, there's a large crowd that forms. That we're all probably uh, knowledgeable about this. The crowd forms as they begin to walk. And if we go all the way down to verse 25, it says, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians and doctors, and had spent all that she had, there was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, all of these people, and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples, one gospel identifies him as Peter being one of the leaders of this. He says, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked around, Jesus looked around, to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So with the help of God, this is not like a fantastic title, Brother Chris, so don't judge me too harshly, but this is just what I was feeling. Our response to His work. Our response to His work. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing all that time. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark begins with this statement that this is the Gospel, the good news, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he begins to go out and and he starts to preach about the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. You need to repent and believe the gospel. We read about Jesus starting to do these wonderful things 
And it looks like to me that, of course, he's, he's preaching about God's kingdom while he is, in fact, Brother Kyle, tearing down the kingdom of Satan. It looks like Jesus is reversing the fall. Everything that the fall produced, the work of Jesus is undoing all of that chaos. If you go from the beginning of Mark to our present story, we, we read actually the first thing that he does as far as something miraculous, Brother Anthony, is he starts casting out a devil. And that just kind of struck me. I guess I never really realized that. That's the first thing he does in Mark is he casts out a demon-possessed man. And then he heals a fever. A little bit later, it says that he healed many people that were sick of diverse diseases. There were more devils. There's the healing of lepers. There's the healing, everybody remember the story of the paralyzed man that's let down from the roof. Jesus heals that man. In fact, Jesus even begins to forgive sin. And Jesus starts calling disciples. These are all things that are a part of Jesus' plan to build God's kingdom. A withered hand is stretched forth. There's the calming of the sea. There's the story of the, the, the demoniac who was called Legion. And there are many responses to a lot of these miracles, Brother Jordan, that Jesus is doing around all of this region in the north. The Pharisees, everybody remember the Pharisees, right? What do they do? Their hearts are hardened, Mark says, and they seek to, to either trick Jesus up. And in fact, at some point, they begin to say very early, maybe we should kill this guy. Maybe that would be a good idea. So there's mixed responses. Even the disciples respond in confusion. Remember that? They say, what manner of man is this? But then you have some people that are in fact responding in faith, Brother Hussey. They, they come forward, the crowds are seeking Jesus in Mark 1, and it says that all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases. But there's consistent rejection of Jesus from the re religious leaders, but here comes Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's not a Pharisee, but he is a, a religious leader. And what he does is he asks and he says, hey, my daughter's, he says, at the point of death, can you come and heal her? This begins our story. Our story that we just read takes place, as we know, inside of the Jairus episode. He's facing a crisis as his 12-year-old daughter is facing death. And we see another crisis, this woman, she has had this issue for 12 years. Now, as we've heard, and, and this has been uh, probably fair, uh, very well shown throughout the many sermons, is that Leviticus 15 gives instruction on what you're supposed to do with a blood issue. If you have a problem, if there's, if there's not to be disgusting, but you've got this blood problem, it won't stop, right? Moses tells us, or tells the Israelites how they're supposed to handle that. We don't exactly know what the problem was, but we do know that she was unclean. Now, what does that mean to be unclean? It does not mean sinful. Okay, we've got to make sure we understand that. To be unclean does not equal being sinful. Being unclean means that they were ritually unpure. Because anything that, uh, anything that looked like mortality, anything that represented what the fall produced was considered unclean. So if you are sick, well, that's a result of the fall. You can't go into the temple but a certain ways. Or the temple, you could only do certain things. If you had just given birth, or if you had touched a dead body, or any of these kinds of things that connected to a result of the fall, that meant you were unclean. But you could become clean, right? There was a, there was a way for that to happen. The problem for this woman is that she could never be clean. 
because her problem had been continuous. And I was reading through Leviticus 15, and this stuck out to me, that if a man and a woman have certain relations, then they were both unclean. So you think about this, if one was unclean and, and, and uh, they have a, a, a relationship, that means they're both unclean. This is interesting to me because then it shows that she is totally and utterly alone. And that just that has struck me differently when I was going through this. Because yes, we know how you know they're supposed to yell unclean and they can't be within a certain distance, but she's even estranged, probably. It doesn't say, but I'm just connecting the dots between Leviticus and Mark. It looks like she's totally alone even from her family. So is she married? If she is, he can't be near her if he wants to go to the temple. So whether man or woman. Uncleanness reminds us of our mortality, that we, in our present state, we are a result of the fall. Our present state is a result of the fall, and that is separation from God, right? That's what sin has produced. That's the kingdom of Satan. This is why Jesus came to this world, to undo what Satan had done, so that we could be connected with him. And this, what, what does Paul say? This mortal body is going to put on immortality. Can, is anybody else excited for that day when we will be caught up and we won't have to worry about this flesh anymore? Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Mark 5, 26. <clears throat> It says that she had suffered many things from many doctors and she did not grow better. In fact, she grew worse. But she had this idea, right? She said, if I could just touch his garment, then I could be made whole. Now, sometimes we call this desperate faith, right? She's at a desperate circumstance. And again, I'm not just trying to go against the grain. I just really begin to think about this. It almost sounds more, and I shouldn't say more, but maybe from a different perspective. It sounds like simple faith. All I have to do is touch. All, I just have to do something small. I, just, I have enough faith in God that it's just so simple, like I could just touch Him. That's it. Well, that's too simple. Maybe that's all Jesus is looking for. What did He say? Just the faith, just the grain of just a little mustard seed. There's some family friends of ours that we've known for years back in Minnesota at the time, uh, Micah was three years old, and he has a little, little eye situation, and he has to wear glasses, and you know, a three-year-old, he doesn't like his glasses. So he prayed that Jesus would heal him. He took his glasses off and handed them to his mother and said, I don't need these anymore. <laughs> and I love that story. I mean, he still wears his glasses, but I love that story just, just because that was like, ooh, man, like it's kind of, a, you know, kind of a cute story for a little kid. But at the same time, that's simple faith. That's the faith of a child. That's something that I think God sees, sees that. Like, and I'm not saying that there are not times where we have to maybe step out. And, and I think this is definitely one of those circumstances. We know she did have to step out and she probably had to make her way through this big crowd. And, and we've heard that and I understand that. But it's just that, that, that initial thought, just all I have to do is touch him. I don't have to give a million dollars. I, I don't have to go do some great... Okay, anybody, anybody remember Naaman? He thought Elisha was going to ask him to do some grand thing, but all he had to do was wash in the Jordan. Sometimes it's just simple things, but it's, are you going to act on it? <clears throat> and, and again, I'm just, you know, when you're reading, you just, if you slow down, I think you can observe and, and see some interesting things. This is not a mystical touch. This is not something... 
born out of mysticism or some uh, spooky spiritual thing. It's just a touch. Now, it's interesting, right? Does God, does, does he honor methods or does he honor faith? Now, we know that later on, and again, I'm just, I'm just thinking here a little bit. We know later on other people did follow this and they touched him and he, and he healed them. And, and back to maybe that simplistic faith. But if we have to, like, you know, do we need to read, like, a book called 10 Easy Steps to Receiving Your Miracle? And here's the method, and you end it by touching the bottom of somebody's robe or something. No, that's what I mean by a method. Okay, when God is, is wanting us to conquer our enemies, that doesn't mean we have to literally go march around a, a city. There are principles and there, there's faith involved here. Okay, does that make sense? I'm, just, I'm talking about something that I think it's the faith that God is looking for. Not that you did it the same way as somebody else. Not that you have to go have a checklist. I did this, I did this, now God, where's my miracle? I think it's the simple faith of understanding that God could do this. I was, I was struck by this. I shared this with CCS Chapel a couple weeks ago. A couple, well, that, that Sunday, God had really challenged me. When was the last time you like, had faith that I could do something? Just because like, I would come to church and it was just kind of, I take it for granted, like, God, if you want to move, you can move. But it was kind of like he hit me. Do you know that I can move? And the line that was in my head, not because of Nike, but he can do it. Like, he can do stuff. Like, he can do it. And I just was, that, that kind of filled my faith because it was like, he really is God. And, and maybe this is just too simple. But I think it's who she sought. Not how she touched him. Not where she touched him. Not when she touched him. I think it's who she touched. I think that's what made the difference. Her faith and who she directed her faith at. So, she touches Jesus, and it's interesting, I was reading one commentator, and I quote, he said, when she touched Jesus, he became unclean. No. Okay, because Matthew uses this word, in the Greek it means immediately. It says straightway, and then in the next verse it says immediately. Because immediately when she touched him, she was not unclean anymore. Because you can't help but touch Jesus and become clean. He, he's not unclean. He was not going to be unclean. Okay, when, when he's touching the lepers, he did not become unclean. They became clean. And so it's fantastic to me that she touches his garment and immediately she is healed. How many have heard this part of the story before? It's kind of like, you know, the big moment. Well, here's the deal in verse 30. And Jesus immediately, there's that, that word, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, he turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? And his disciples, <clears throat> all of these people are touching you, Jesus. So why are you saying, who touched you? So, of course, a lot of people were touching Jesus, but only one person touched Jesus, right? I remember Brother Kilman saying this one time, that if you have the right touch, you can stop Jesus in the road. So when we're reaching out for him, how are we reaching out? <clears throat> and, and again, I'm just thinking, I'm just talking. 
It would be a shame to come to a church service where we have such close access to God, but not actually touch Him. To come in and just, just to, you know, it's what we do. We're Pentecostal, bless God, raise your hands, right? So, is that, is that what we're doing just because we know He's worthy and we know He's God, but do we in, do, do we do this intentionally? I've, I've really been thinking, Brother Cole, thank you for leading the worship team and being the, the lead over that. I've really been thinking the last couple of years when I'm singing a worship song, I sometimes I actually stop and I really think about the words. Because I want to know what I'm singing. When I'm, when I'm lifting up the Lord in, in song or in worship and praise, I want to know, what does hallelujah actually mean? What does it mean to worship the Lord? When, we, when we're talking about the glory of the Lord and we're lifting up His name, it makes me want to shout hallelujah. Does it actually? Uh, do I actually? Why am I wanting to shout hallelujah? Thank God for saving me. Well, what does it mean to be saved? These might be, again, maybe this is just too simple, Brother Hussey, but I'm just really thinking here, I think sometimes things get too complicated. And we need to take a step back and just say, I just need a touch from you, Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing in Minnesota that said, reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. Because He's passing by. So reach out and touch the Lord. Mark 5.32, and he looked around to see her that had done this thing. This, this commentator, the same guy, he, he made something like either he didn't know who it was or he was trying to figure out. No, it says he knew who it was because he's kind of God. But he, it says he was looking to see her that had done this thing. And Luke's gospel says this, everyone denied it was them. Because we've probably seen or heard this, like she's down probably pretty low, she touches the bottom, she might have been crawling, she gets out of there quickly. And then he's looking for her, giving her an opportunity to come forward. And everybody's like, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And then what does it say that, I'm going to read from, from Luke 8.47, it's the same story, same, by the way, this really happened. I say story, but I don't mean Little Red Riding Hood. I mean, this is a history story. This actually happened, by the way. It says, when the woman saw that she was not hid, because Jesus knew who it was, she came trembling and falling down before him. And this is another thing that just struck me. She declared unto him before all the people. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, why she touched him and how she was healed immediately. <clears throat> Brother Brandon, throughout Mark's Gospel, it's called, there's like this secrecy of the Messiah. That if you read Mark's Gospel, he'll heal somebody, and then he tells them, don't tell anybody, and then they go tell everybody. But it was interesting that this really struck out, again, maybe I'm just... I don't know, being more observant than normal or something, I don't know. But when he goes to the demon-possessed guy that's name was Legion, he doesn't tell him, be quiet. Brother Ken, he says, go and tell everybody. And now that looks like that's in a Gentile area, so they didn't have the same perception of what the Messiah was. That's probably why I think that was the case. But this is interesting to me, because they're in Galilee. And what happens, he calls her out, and... 
he gives her an opportunity. She's been in obscurity, I can't talk, for too long. She's been isolated for too long. He gives her an opportunity to come out of that and to declare to everyone what had happened. And that's odd to me because even the next several chapters, this is chapter 5 going all the way to 7, 8, and on, he tells people until he reveals himself as the Messiah, he says, don't tell anybody what I've done for you. But here he calls her out to give a witness to everyone. To bear witness to what had happened. And then, so we'll build on that in just a moment. But it says in Mark 5.34, He said unto her, Daughter, thy faith have made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Sister Dibble, this is the only time that Jesus calls a human daughter. He uses daughter in reference to maybe other people or the fact that they are a female child. But this is the only woman that he looks at her specifically and identifies her and says, daughter. He says, thy faith hath made thee whole. She's healed. But then he says, go in peace. Okay, this is not, and you've all heard Brother Kilman talk about this. Peace in the Bible is not just an inner calm or calm from anxiety. It means peace in the sense of you are in complete unity and alignment with God's will. Furthermore, it shows that you are living life the way that God intended it. You're free. You're not in bondage. You're not in isolation. You're free in your worship. You're free from, from, again, we have these limitations right now, but you're free from from uncleanness. You're free to live in victory. You're free from death, at least in this moment. There's there's freedom here. And and if we go through all all of the examples we already talked about, Jesus is showing His power over sickness, over nature, over demons, and in a few verses down, even over death. These are signs of authority. Now think about that for a second. Signs of authority. Yes, He's God. This is God in the flesh right now. And He has authority. That means whatever He says, it's going to happen. So how simple is your faith today? How much do we believe that He can actually do these things? But, okay, numerous sermons... Brother Kilman talked about the parables a couple weeks ago from uh, the previous chapter, chapter 4. There's numerous miracles, but there are only a few responses. Now, this is where we're building up to. Jairus, he sees this miracle, right? Why does God allow us to see other people's miracles? Now, remember, this story took place inside of Jairus' episode. So maybe, just maybe, this episode, this, this event of the blood, as they're going... Okay, because what happens to the girl by the time they get to the house? In our language, she's dead. In Jesus' language, she's asleep. But what am I trying to get at here? Why does God let us see other people's miracles? Maybe it's so that Jairus knows, okay, if he can work over here, I got a problem over here. We're not there yet. But when we get there, he can handle it. Maybe by the time that if we're walking along in life, Okay, how many know hard times are going to come? Challenges are going to come. They will come. But if I can look at Brother...